This is the Podcast Inc. production. Booyah! This is the moment podcasting fans listening around the world have been waiting for. Coming to you not so live from a listening device of your choice. It's time! Podcasting out of this corner, a mixed martial talker, holding no professional record. He stands at six feet one and one half inches tall, weighing in at whatever he feels like, hailing out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, presenting the sometimes angry, always funny, Self-proclaimed podcasting champion of the world, Steve Fingerstyles! So, welcome to another rendition of the podcast. I am here once again, always again, and brought to you by poppyapparel.com. It's about, uh, I don't know, three, four weeks from Christmas now. Well, it's less than a month, that's for sure. And Black Friday's over, so you can't get those sales. But I'm here to help you. If you shop for women or if you're a woman, go to poppyapparel.com. Use promo code THEPODCAST with a capital D. You'll get 10% off. It's free shipping worldwide. And if you want to support me directly, go to wehavemerch.com. I have mugs, women's tees, men's tees. You can either get them in black or white, all sizes. And again, they ship worldwide as well. Listen to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and I am part of the Pod Bros Network. Go to podbros.com if you want to listen to my show or other shows on the network. And if you want to support them and me directly as well, again, click on their Amazon banner. It takes you two seconds, free of charge. Helps them out, which helps me out. Every Sunday afternoon, you can listen to the show on EMZT Radio. They have a podcast block between the time of about 1 and 6, and I'm usually on about 3 or 4. And I guess that's it for now. Anyways, so... Everyone knows by now from listening to the show that two of my many interests include comedy and MMA. So I've decided to bridge the two today with this week's guest. So he has promoted over 300 shows, manages talent, has a podcast network, provides marketing and branding all under the Jake Hirsch Entertainment Group, which he runs and owns. He's worked alongside people like Bill Burr and Russell Peters, just to name a few. Ladies and gentlemen, the man, Jake Hirsch. Big applause! You got to like a laugh track. Bro. Big, big applause here. Big applause. The masses are out. How's it going, dude? I'm glad we finally got to connect. I know we've been talking over Twitter for what, probably over a year now or so. <laughs> probably over a year. Been trying to connect, but you're super busy and a man on the go, and we're never always in one place at one time. I think we've always yeah. like. I went to Montreal. I missed you by a week. Uh, yeah. I went to Vancouver or something, and you were close by there too. And it was just like always just by a little bit. So we said, fuck yeah. it. Let's do this over the internet and finally get it over and done with. Exactly. And it's so funny because I just booked a trip to Toronto uh, for like the week of like December 10th. So I was like, man, I should have. But no, I think it's good because we could probably even do a follow-up one. 
when I roll into town, I've got access to this great studio in Toronto. It's a uh, it's a great group of people, but uh, I would love to have you out at that podcast. Sure. And it's a uh, it's a glass case podcast that's uh, in a bar. Oh wow! So it's like a, a huge bar, and you get the podcast live through through there. So it's like you're in a fish tank. It's it's pretty. Bad. Okay, how about this? I don't I don't really drink. I'm more of a toker. So is it a toking bar as well? You know what? We're gonna go outside and toke, okay, and then okay. we'll come inside, and we'll. And I'll start drinking on your behalf. But, no problem. Uh, yeah, yeah, man, yeah. But no, it's a it's a killer setup, man. It's uh, it's with a group out there that uh, I've gotten to know, um, you know, just through the just through the comedy industry and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, yeah, definitely a great great hookup. Oh, that's cool. Okay, let's start from the beginning here. So, you started your management group in 2006, and you were representing fighters from like the UFC, Bellator, K1, and shit, and right other, I guess, duties and so forth and so on. But by representing, what exactly were you doing and how did you come to get into this? Like, tell us the story, man. How did all this happen? Yeah, so it's, uh, it's, kind, of a, it's uh, kind of a crazy story. So I, I was, I'm a California kid. I was born and raised out in California. Oh, and, nice. Uh, I moved around, you know, quite a bit, right? Okay. And, uh, and, and so, you know, it was kind of Northern California, Southern California. Uh, we moved to Texas for a bit, lived oh, out shit. there. Yeah, all over. And so um, we eventually ended up in Canada. And oh. and so at the time, we moved to a town called Fort McLeod, which is like, you know, I think. I don't even know what the fuck that 3, is. Maybe 3,500 people. It's like two <laughs> hours south of Calgary. Okay, so, okay. So, I mean, talk about a complete culture shock. You, you know, right. you're living in Houston, Texas, and you're going to, you know, your high school's got, you know, 1,600 kids. And then all of a sudden, you go oh. to a town in Fort McLeod, Canada, and it's, you know what I mean? It's snow blizzarding and shit. And, <laughs> and the high school, there's like, yeah, I think we had 100 kids in our high school, and I had, right. I think, maybe 10 in my, no, 20, maybe 30 in my graduating class. So oh, wow. anyway, it was, it was a massive culture shock. But I just remember thinking to myself, like, there's no way this could be like, this is, this is it, right? Like, right. this is where I'm going to end up. Like, I couldn't wait to hightail it back to California. And okay. so as soon as I graduate, I mess around in college for, you know, a year and, you know, kind of, kind of jerk around. And then I end up heading back to California. And at the time I went over to a cousin's house. I think it was for Thanksgiving. And, okay. uh, my cousin shows up, my cousin from Huntington beach, uh, this guy by the name of Clint doll and Clint comes up and he goes, yeah, man, I'm, I'm just kind of, you know, working with these guys, these professional fighters, and, and we're, we're in this thing called Mixed Martial Arts. Okay. And I was just like, what the hell is, you know, he's like, you know, like it was as close to bare knuckle, you know, kind of combat that you could get to, you know, during that time. I mean, the only thing you could really see were, you know, kickboxing tournaments and stuff like that. So nothing ever to that level of, of what you saw the first time you saw UFC. And I think everybody's got that that imprint on their psyche of they're like the first time I saw two grown men, like get into combat with each other and like really throw, you know, some bones. Right. And, and so for me, that was a real, that was a real eye opening experience of just like, this is this entire kind of subculture of, of, you know, uh, of this, you know, culture of, of, or, you know, community of people that, that, you know, were really on the cusp of something pretty, pretty crazy. And so, I just kind of become fascinated. He shows me this tape of like the first, you know, of, you know, like the first UFC of, of Hoist Gracie and, of and, you know, all these guys. And, and, you know, you're just like, this is, this is insane. I'm like, so, you know, you're a part of this, you do it. So it turns out my cousin was like on the scene when all this stuff started to, you know, really grow. And oh, wow. so he was living in Huntington beach and 
uh, ended up, he, my cousin actually in the history books was the first person to ever put on an MMA event in California. Oh, so wow. he was a very, very first promoter. Yeah. To actually put on an MMA event. And, um, and Crazy. so back then on the scene, it was guys like, you know, Tito Ortiz and Chuck Liddell and, and Tiki Gozin and Rob, you know, Razor Rob McCullough and, um, all these, you know, really great gifted athletes. And, um, you know, you'd go to the gym, you see these guys spar, you see these guys fight, and you're just like, man, like, you know, something, something magical is going to happen here pretty soon. Like, you feel yeah. this buzz that, you know, this is an industry that's starting to take off. And I think there's very few people in the world that are, are able to kind of notice those trends and, and things, yeah. you know, things that, you know, that are going to pop before they do. Of course. And, um, you know, I didn't. I didn't think of it at the time of, of it being from like a, a, a place of, of like, oh, how can I make money at this? It was just, how do I get involved in this? How, you know, how do oh, I become a part of this community? Right. And uh, so my cousin started managing fighters. And so I was just always this young guy who was just always chomping at the ankle, trying to learn what he did and try to emulate, you know, how did you do this and how did you get into promoting? And, and you know, I knew this was only going to, you know, expand and uh, at the time, I was living in Calgary, and I think the only promoter out here at the time was Lee Mian from Lethbridge, okay. who is the founder of Rumble in the Cage, which is, I think, the oldest MMA organization in Canada, wow. um, whose son, by the way, is Jordan, Jordan uh, Mian from the UFC, and there I think go. he fights in Bellator now. Yeah, yeah I actually and, met him uh, once in Vegas. And Mark Pavlich. Mark Pavlich from uh, the Maxim Fighting Championship. Oh, and there was another guy out in BC, Bill Bill Mahood. They call oh, him Bill the Butcher Mahood. Okay. And uh, Bill is he's one of the most badass trainers you could ever work with. So he cool. was he was part of a, a large team out there in, in uh, MMA. And uh, but anyway, there was only you know a couple of guys on the scene, right? And no one really looking after fighters in Canada. And I kind of took the stuff that I learned from my cousin, I would call him and ask him questions all the time, but I, right. I basically took what he was doing and emulated it in Canada. And, and Smart. so it was one of the first guys to really like open up more of a boutique agency where I really try to look after fighters, you know, um, yeah. on a management level of not just booking them fights, but you know, my, my agency was never about numbers. It was always about relationships and trying to, you know, I was friends with all these guys. I was training with them and, and doing all that type of stuff. Oh, nice. And, um, yeah, and so there was a guy here in Calgary named Anderson Goncaves, and he's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, like right from Brazil, okay. and uh, a lot of history. Um, he subsequently was a coach for Team Punishment, so for Tito Ortiz's yes. team in Huntington Beach. Right. And so Anderson ended up in Calgary, and he now runs a very successful um, MMA and, and Brazilian jiu-jitsu school. Uh, he's, wow. he's got a couple. He's got some affiliates and stuff. Um but yeah, I, I ended up going and training with him in, in, in jiu-jitsu and I, you know, met a bunch of guys through through the gym and just started kind of yeah. growing my network. And um, fast forward, I think it was probably five years later, right. I was promoting after parties for like the UFC. Oh, there um, you go. We, uh, I partnered with a guy out of California named Steve Rusich who owned a company called Triple Crown Fighter. And together we merged companies, and uh, he brought on his roster, which oh, was wow. like guys like Bob Sapp, oh, nice. and um, you know Ray, Ray Sifo, oh, yeah. you know all these old school you know legends and of stuff course. like that, and uh, Gary Good, Good Goodridge. We were doing stuff with nice. uh, back in the day. But anyway, point being, all these he came on board, and all of a sudden we had about forty fighters from Brazil 
that we started representing. And so before you knew it, I think we had a roster at one point of over, uh, I don't know, probably 200 fighters that we represented. And so we had fights every weekend and, you know, whether it be some podunk town in Iowa <laughs> to K1 and right. or pride in Japan, right? And oh, shit. We travel right. to Japan and, and watch these fights, you know, with Bob Sapp and, and you know. Legend. Be out there as, as an agent and stuff like that. And, and I ended up in Canada kind of growing the agency here. And, and uh, But, yeah, we had great partnerships with people like Tap Out and, you know, Hitman Fight Gear. And, you yep. know, we would be invited to the parties and all this type of stuff. And, and oh, wow. it was a real special time, man. It was, uh, it was, it was just coming, coming into the business at the right time. I feel like I'm rambling, by the way. No, you know what? This is a story, bro. It's all about you, my friend. People want to listen (laughs) to my guests, not to me. I've already told my stories over and over. So you know what I mean? (laughs) Now it's all about the guests. But okay, just to put in perspective, how many years ago was this? About roughly, what, 20, 25 years, give or take? 20? Yeah, so it was like right on the... You know, right on the very beginning of when MMA started coming out. So we're talking like 96, 98, probably. Okay. And uh, yeah, so I mean, you, California at the time. You mentioned two names, Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz. Fast forward to this just past weekend, and these two guys are still fighting. I know. I know. Thoughts? And Any I'm thoughts? telling you right now is that, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I know Tito and, okay. uh, you know, like Razor Rob, McCullough, all those guys. It's all the Huntington Beach crew. Of course. That's and, why I bring um, it up. Yeah. And, and so, uh, I was going to say something about it and I'll say something on, on here because you're my boy. Okay. I didn't want to say it on Twitter because Tito follows me on the Twitter and so does Razor Rob. And I was like, I know that if I say something, they're going to see it. But I felt bad for Chuck, man. I, felt that it, he looked like he was already concussion prone. He looked like he was a senior in in the ring, so to right. speak. And it, he looked like he looked, he didn't look like he belonged there. And that no. made me really sad. It really it did. did. Like, I'm happy that Tito got for, like for the spirit of Tito, you know, kind of ha- having that, that glory again and, and coming out, you know, leaving the sport on a win. I get it. Like I, right. but I felt I felt really bad because it didn't look like Chuck belonged in that in that cage. No, he didn't. Like he came in with a limp, like right there alone. How did how did it get? I don't know how. Whatever it got sanctioned, but that's whatever. I guess money talks bullshit walks, right? That's it. That's it, right? And when you're dealing on that level of you know pay per view draws or people that are really interested in watching that trilogy, no matter how bad it, I mean, it's like Shamrock, right? When he came back and. <laughs> was trying to fight and stuff right and you're just like dude or like tank abbott when he was done right and you're like you know dude i i love going out thinking of the guy that knocked all those dudes out i don't yes. want to go out thinking you know that guy who stuck around for too long and he got knocked out plus you know you're you know you're not doing yourself any favors no. taking hits like that i get it you know the payday and the money and stuff like that i get it I, you know i'm in, i was involved in that industry so i'm not going to pretend like i don't know right the back end of that stuff but at the same time you know, I think the difficult part there is that, you know, people surround themselves with people who are constantly saying, dude, you've got it. You still you still move with the young bucks. You can still tap people out. Mm. But, you know, you're the captain of, of the ship. Right. And and you very may, you know, may well be in your own gym. But chances are, if you're at that level, you know, it's um, you've got your training down. You got your your training camps. You know who you're bringing in to, to, to test you. But you know, at that level, you're not really bringing in a lot of guys who are going to be whipping your ass. Like, you're yeah. bringing in guys who are going to, you know, put you through the paces. And, you know, you don't want to take as much damage in, in, in the training 
in camp, but it just it just didn't look like you know he was. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it it I felt bad, man. I felt really bad about that whole thing. But yeah, anyway. So yeah, I mean, it's uh, I could see why people want to do that because it's a draw. It's still it's still Drew. And I'm sure they made, you know, some pretty decent money on it or, you know, some back end. But but I really hope that, you know, that's not a trend that we continue to see. Like, I don't think the UFC needs like a senior PGA store. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, they don't – we don't need, you know, we don't need the old dudes out there. No, it's so true. Okay, so uh, you you touched on Pride and you've attended Pride events. How the fuck is the atmosphere out there during those events? Oh, man. Because I'm a huge Pride fan. I loved it. My partner, Steve, was the international guy. And so Steve would be the guy to travel. Um, you know, he had a really close relationship with Bob Sapp and, and Gary Goodridge and all those guys. So Steve was always the one to go international. Okay. And um, Steve was also very rich, too. So that helped out matters. <laughs> Steve, Steve owns, to this day, Steve owns the largest Kia car lot in, like, Southern California. Good for him. He's amazing, dude. He's, wow. a, he's a great guy. Anyway, um, so anyway, yeah. So Steve would go over there, right? But he would always, you know, when we got together at fights and stuff like that, and there'd always be a core group of people that kind of knew each other, and you know, the different managers and agents and stuff that you end up working with. Yeah. Um, you always end up meeting at these fights and events, and and you know, you're then you're there a couple of days early before the fight, so you're you know doing all the PR stuff, and you just kind of hang out with these guys at the at the bar or you know whatever you go have some drinks with these guys it's kind of like a good circle of people to catch up with and and um yeah i mean it's uh it's it's such a you know fantastic community of people and and you know to be kind of part of that whole situation was uh was really fantastic man it was a it was a great time how about just japan on its own How, how did you like japan sorry i completely wandered off there the japan the vibe the vibe sorry the whole point of that getting together stuff um, was that Steve would always come back with these with these great stories, man, about going to Japan and right. and like you know um, it's such a different appreciation for the sport in Japan. Like the experience there is completely different than the one in in, in Northern America, right? Like right. North America, the you know they cheer like when fighters go to go to the ground in North America, people tend to boo. People get restless or yep. they're tied up and they're clinched on the fence. They, you know, they start. They, they wanted to see knockouts and they want to see submissions and they want it to be fast and yep. dirty and, and that type of stuff. People in Japan are, are more appreciative of like the jujitsu or the art of it, right? The the actual martial art of it. So, mm. so when you saw two fighters end up going down to the ground, people would get up and clap in Japan yes. because they were like, "Oh, they're going to see some great jujitsu or some great judo, right, or whatever." So it's yeah it's a really interesting dichotomy like you know the different kind of flavors of of what people look for and what they like and and you know what different cultures appreciate in, in, the, in the in the art um but i think overall like i think there are very educated people on, yeah. on on martial arts whereas a lot of times you would go to fights and for the first time they'd had like a mixed martial art event um you'd always get guys in the crowd that are mm. you know way too you know but like but you, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you get these guys who are, you know, you're, you know, they're obviously not educated on, on, you know, how, how, how it all works exactly. or why they can't, you know, just get out of an arm bar that, that easy or Thank you know, you. whatever. Yep. But I think in, in retrospect, guys like Joe Rogan, mm. um, the reason why guys like Joe, I mean, he's a brilliant dude and, and he's, he's amazing at jujitsu. Um, guys like that, I think are, is what is needed in the sport to yes. kind of un- 
kind of transfer that information. You know what I mean? It's yeah, almost no, like course. they're the they're the uh, the the translators for for the people that are educated in martial arts and to the people that aren't. Right? Joe's yeah. got a great ability to break stuff down, yep. and and when he's calling fights, to be able to say, you know, okay, he needs to do this because <laughs> he's got to you know defend against that or, or what have you detrimental. And I think you know pride. It's just a different, educated crowd over there. Yeah, like I said, when there was Pride and UFC going head-to-head, to to me, I always would choose Pride over UFC. It's just something about it, the entertainment value, everything, just the whole show, everything they put together, the hoopla. It was fucking awesome, man. Yeah, and and, and, and I, I also think, you know, to your point, Steve, is is that I think that you had a better chance of seeing something really magical happen in Japan mm. with these fighters that you really didn't know. Like right. when all these guys started coming on to, to the scene, like we had our favorites, right? We, you know, we, I was huge fans of like Ricardo Rona yep. and uh, Carlos Newton and, and, you know, these guys, Rampage Jackson, who would be over there fighting and all this stuff. Right. But then you'd see these guys like Shlomenko and you'd see these guys <laughs> like, you know, I mean, obviously, um, Emelianenko came, came, came out, out of, that whole place right and then you get these these like weird battles man like you know like when when Emelianenko and and uh who's the guy that slammed him on his head kevin um kevin randleman, randleman. remember when he su- he suplexed uh Emelianenko and i'm like there was a certain energy <laughs> to that place of where you were like i didn't know if someone might die tonight like there, thank it you was pretty exciting shit man. You know <laughs> i know I mean? pride was great dude You're it right. was pride was great man it was okay so Let's get into the comedy side. So what sure. what made you stop or transition from a mixed martial arts into the comedy scene? Like, what was the bridge that, like, did you were just fed up? You just want to try something new, a new challenge? What was it? Yeah. yeah, you know what? That's such a great, great question. I get that asked. I get, you know, I get, uh, get that question all the time, actually. And one of the things is um, it got to a point in MMA where things were really starting to take off. Okay. Um, my cousin... This is a side note. My cousin called me. Um, this is like years and years ago. This is like 2000. I think it was 2001. Oh, wow. And okay. he goes, hey, man, I've got this idea for this reality show. Oh. And let me pitch it to you. Okay. And so he starts telling me, you know, about putting all these fighters together in a house. And, and uh, you know, wow. like a reality show, right? And yeah. I'm like, I go, I don't know, man. I go, this, you know, it sounds pretty good. And he's like, all right. He's like, I just need to borrow a million dollars to get this to like, to like a pilot, right? Wow. And I'm like, are you out of your mind? Anyway, a year later or whatever, the UFC, and, I, and I'm not by any means saying that he, you know, stole, you know, they stole the idea. Anything, right, right. You know, whatever. People have ideas <laughs> all the time. So, um, but a year later, the UFC comes out with the Ultimate Fighter. And yeah. it comes out, obviously, as you remember, with fucking fireworks, right? <sighs> Stephen Bonner and the, you know, Forrest Griffin fight. Yeah. and. You know, shit's really starting to blow up. People are starting to see the real currency in this. And you're starting to see, and I always say this to uh, people, because like, I'm like Mark Pavlich. Like, if we go to a hockey game, mm. I'm not looking at the game. I'm looking at who sponsors the game around the boards. I'm oh, looking wow. at like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, my mind's there, right? Of right. like, oh, who are these people aligning with that have money that can interject in the sport? That's crazy. And so um, I'm always thinking on that level. And, and, and Mark's a big reason because of why, but, but, um, Anyway, you're starting to see a big evolution in the UFC. You're starting mm. to see more corporate sponsors come on board. It was more like Burger King now and like these big names, Bud, right. and all this stuff. And, and 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 so, you know, you can start seeing a lot more money come into it. The production value is getting bigger. They right. were starting to, um, you know, they were starting to uh, 
um, you know, uh, buy out other MMA companies and stuff like That's that. They right. took over the WEC. They yep. bought Pride. They, you know, ended up buying, you know, like I think they got rights into like Invictus and all these yep. different little MMA promotions. And so you were like, right. okay, well, this is starting to become like a machine. And mm-hmm. with that machine came a lot of money. And, and, and so the deals that we were working on, you know, were getting bigger and bigger and bigger and which was great. You know, our splits and stuff like that were, you know, we were doing really well. Yeah. The problem was is that now we've come into a situation where now there's professional agencies backed by corporate companies that are interested uh, in managing MMA fighters because they see the currency and guys like John Jones and they see the currency and guys like, you know, uh, Daniel Cormier and stuff like that, where they're like, hey, we can put this guy on a commercial. We can make him a movie star. We can yeah. put Ronda Rousey. You know? So it's like that's a different level of being an agent, right? And right. so you know, I wasn't really used to that type of stuff. And so we were you know, pretty much you, you get, I don't want to say outsmarted, but you get outclassed by these big agencies who all of a sudden come in and they can say, hey, we can offer these guys signing bonuses to come over and, you know, train. We can yep. give them a salary while they, you know, we have a house they can stay at where we can, you know, they can go train and stuff like that. True. So the, the business started to kind of dwindle a bit. And then it was like, you know, you eventually just become like a brokerage, right? I would broker fights in Europe. So I'd have, oh, well. have promoters in Poland and Germany and stuff call me in, or in China and be like, hey, we're sure. trying to book a fight. We need some fighters. And, you know, so then my job kind of became more about like making sure the guys' passports are up to date and their medicals are um, done. And okay. So it was, really wasn't, you know, being like going out to these UFC fights and doing all that type of stuff. So right. that business started to, to fall. But I knew I went back to law enforcement and uh, I was working in Houston at the time. And um, I ended up leaving that job about four years into it. Um, I just wasn't, you know, it was, it was a miserable job and I was investigating crimes against kids and, you know, child homicide and stuff like that. So it was a really taxing job emotionally. And, um, I started as an outlet, started doing a podcast. I just started like messing around with doing a podcast and, and, uh, and I didn't know really how to interview people. I knew how to interrogate people, but I didn't know how to like interview people. Right. And so that was, that was, uh, but you know what? It's amazing what you can pick up when you interrogate people because you can, oh. you know, you learn a lot about yourself and you learn a lot about how to get stuff answers out of people. Right. And so I thought I can, I can do that. I've done thousands of interviews with people and, okay. you know, court interviews and interviews with kids and, you know, the whole nine yards. Yeah. So I said, okay, well, let me see if I can put some of this to use. And so I just started interviewing people and I just started reaching out to people and it was just really random at the time. And, I think the first big name I got was Alex Sulkin, who was mm. the executive producer for Family Guy and, and okay, the yeah. co creator of like Ted and all those movies with uh, his partner Seth McFarlane. Yeah. And um, I just reached out to him. I said, "Hey, man, can I, can I interview you? Like, I'd love to interview you for my podcast." And I, and I, you know, I think I was bullshitting at the time about you know, oh, I've got this many followers and listeners and you know, all that stuff. Mm. And uh, he said, "Yeah, he go, yeah, man, I'll, I'll come and do it." And so I was like, "Great!" And so I just started reaching out to people just randomly on Twitter and building a following and, 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 you know, learning how to market and stuff. And all this was kind of like just a labor of love on the side. It was all just kind of like a pastime. And, uh, um, I started interviewing some Canadian people Mm. and I, you know, I was like my brother, my family was all here, you know, up in Calgary at this time. And, um, I would, you know, interview a Canadian guy and my numbers would completely spike and i'd be like well this is i'm you know i must be onto something here right so i was interviewing like you know hollywood writers and and you know producers and all this type of stuff right but i started integrating more canadian talent and i was like hey there's there's something missing there 
you know, not getting enough exposure. They're not, you know, there's enough media around it or whatever. And so I started doing these podcasts and it was, I think the first person I reached out to was just like, you know, on the Canadian front was probably, um, you know, I think it was like an actor or something from Vancouver, you know, producer or something like that. And, uh, and then it slowly started building. It was like, you know, I started doing like, I did like the trailer park of boys and then I did, you know, like Kenny and Spenny and, um, you know, um, and then all of a sudden, I started doing like the whole cast of the Trailer Park Boys, from you know all the girls and and you know all the guys and and you know the you know some of the, you know Leahy and you know all these people, and it just became this like this thing where it was like holy shit, I'm starting to hit some really great numbers on this podcast. I'm like I think at one point I was at you know sixteen thousand listeners or something like that, and, and oh, wow. um, you know um, depending on the guest, and, and I would just try to interview anybody I found fascinating and. And it was during that time I saw that Mark Breslin was in town, founder of Yuck Yucks. Oh, nice. Comedy. Okay, you're right. Yeah. He was in town doing a showcase. And I just reached out to him just randomly. I just messaged him. I said, hey, Mr. Breslin. I said, I would, you know, uh, you're obviously a you know, pioneer in Canadian comedy, and, and I would love to sit down with you and just pick your brain for an hour. And, and he said, yeah. He wrote me back. He said, this all sounds fascinating. He was like, yeah, I'll oh, be shit. at this hotel and then come down and, uh, and we can interview. And so I was like, holy shit. So. You know, I'm down there an hour early, I'm, you know, prepping, I'm, you know, <laughs> doing the whole warm up right, right you now. Of and, course. Trying try to like just not fuck this up. And so uh, we went up on this like in this meeting room and found a couple of comfy chairs. And he was like, I've got about 45 minutes for you. That's it. Right. Like, that's right. all I can do. I got a hard stop at two o'clock or whatever. Okay. And we ended up going about two and a half hours. What? And yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> and it was just one of the best, just one of the best conversations. Like, I mean, the conversation right. continued after. Oh, I see. We stopped, you know, recording. And, right. and um, he just, we just kind of had this really weird, you know, kinship. It was just like, okay. you know, he looked at me and was probably like, oh, there's this, you know, young Jewish kid who's interested in comedy. And, you know, <laughs> sounds like he's got some chops and, you know, right. he might, you know, be able to make a career in this somehow in this entertainment world. And so he just, he really departed with a lot of, you know, um, advice and, and right. you know, great stories and made for great content. And, and so I was like, wow, like, whatever this is, I want to be a part of it. Like, yeah, yeah, and I had a good buddy of mine, uh, Chris LaBelle, who was doing a bunch of comedy at the time and, and was always inviting me out and doing this stuff. And so I went out and I, I tried comedy for a bit. I did it for like a year. I just did like, you know, wrote really? some jokes and got okay. on stage and, yeah. and I did, I did pretty good, man. Like, I think I only bombed like once <laughs> and I was hosting my own show. I got cocky and oh, wow. went up there and I, yeah, I was you know, trying to face <laughs> off a bunch of jokes or whatever. And it just it fucking went sideways. And, oh. uh, but yeah, so anyway, I started, you know, kind of dipping my foot in comedy and then I, right. I kind of picked this, this show to yuck yucks and, uh, didn't hear anything for like two months. And I just like forgot about the project. And yeah. then, they just called me out of the blue and was like, "Hey, do you sure. want to be the host of, of this show and and interview comedians?" And and but what it really did was it got me access to everybody. It brought me. Exactly. I got to meet all the comics, and every week there was a different headliner in town, and then there right. was these special shows. So every once in a while, you'd get to go, you know, interview like a you know Ari Shafir, or, yeah, you know Bert Kreischer or something like that. You're yeah, like, yeah. Oh shit, this is great. And uh, and so I did that for like a year, and then. You know, everybody was, I guess, speaking highly of me. And 
they offered me a job as a as an agent oh, uh, wow. as the West Coast talent agent for for Yuck Yuck. So that's kind of how it all started, man. Oh, sure. That was a long winded fucking answer to that question, but I felt like you needed the history, brother. Right? Well, you you, history. see, the good thing about podcasts, if someone got bored halfway through, they could have just hit the fifteen second fast forward button a few times, and there you go. Now, now they're at this <laughs> that's point. True. <laughs> that's what I always say. Exactly, and, and that's, that's right. why. I don't understand people who complain about free podcast content because, again, you don't have to listen to it. You could fast forward. You could rewind. Do whatever the fuck you want. doesn't matter. Exactly. That's what I'm talking about, man. Amen. So then that's I guess that point. snowballed into the entertainment group that, again, dubbed after yourself, your name, Jay Kirsch Entertainment Group. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that – yeah. So, I mean, I essentially started, you know, making some really good friendships, you know, with people and, and comics and everything. And it was just this one comic, um, who I still manage to this day, um, Kathleen McGee. And she just said, she's like, I need to get my shit together. And I know that you could probably help me organize this and, and, you know, kind of have a career at this. And how do I better organize, you know, my dates, my bookings, my website, like my marketing, like, I don't know how to do any of this stuff. Right. I was just kind of like, I don't really know how to do any of that stuff either. Like I had, you know, obviously um, experience, you know, in MMA, but you know, as you know, the, the difference between managing a fighter in MMA and managing, you know, a comic is that a comic wants to work every fucking night of the week. <laughs> and a fighter only fights about three times a year. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, there's so four true. months in between fights. And then the other, you know, three months out of the, you know, you're just like, I don't ever hear from these guys unless there's an accident in training or something, but right. you know, or you got to bail someone out of jail or something like that. But <laughs> With comedy, it's just like, you know, every fucking night people want to work. And yeah. so what I think you start to realize on the business side of this is that, hey, if somebody, you know, like, you know, comics in general, too, I'm sure, you know, you've kind of gotten this impression, is that they're a very loosey-goosey bunch, right? They're, they're very, you Easy know, to work everyone's with. kind of like, they're friendly, but it's every man for himself. Like, it's, yeah. it's clearly like, you know, and, and it's a really, it's a tough business because, there's nothing worse than fucking with someone's inner inner psyche where they're like, hey, I've been doing this for 10 years and you've mm. only been doing this for two and you've got a TV pilot or you right. got picked up for a festival or you want a competition. And then it starts to become like always looking at your neighbor's grass before your own, right? I and know. you're always like this fucking guy. And so <laughs> there's a weird thing about this business where it's if you see somebody else doing better than you, you think that they've somehow taken this from you. Like they've somehow taken this opportunity from you. And that's, that's not a healthy thing, right. In any business, right. Like you don't go to work every day and be like, fuck that guy's, you know, he's, you know, he's got it out for me or (laughs) or he's got, you know, he's got this opportunity. He got promoted before me or whatever it is. And you're, you know, that's, so that's a tough, tough business. And so, but what I found is that, it's also a community of, of really great people and, and, and some of the best people I've ever met in, in my life. And, uh, so true. and it, you know, the more that I did it, the better I became at it and the better relationships I started developing out of it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, yeah, fast forward, you know, three years and, uh, you know, we're probably one of the largest agencies in, in Canada for representing comedy in that vertical and that wheelhouse. Crazy. Um, uh, we've got a full video production side. We've shot specials before. We're, you know, in talks and pitching these specials to, you know, major networks. We've got a podcast network where we produce, um, you know, about nine podcasts oh, wow. a week. Um, we do, um, you know, obviously we have a live events uh, division. We formed a partnership with Rick Bronson at the comic strip and, and you know, House of Comedy. So we've yeah. got access to all the touring comedians. 
And then just last year, we ended up, um, you know, having a really great um, uh, uh, meeting and, and kind of a, a semi-partnership formed with All Things Comedy, where, you know, we're helping look after developing the Canadian market for them as well. And, mm. and ATC is a, is a company that I've really learned to, to just be, you know, the more... I get to work with these guys and hear about the projects and stuff that are coming down the pipe, the, the more excited I get about it because right. it's such a, you know, the brainchild of Bill Burr and, and, and Al Madrigal, like how could that go wrong? Right. So, right. Um, so yeah, so that's how the agency stuff all ended up coming into place. And, and it's oh, been a, awesome. it's been a crazy journey, man, but we've got some great people working, working with us. And, and uh, you know, we've got a, we've got a great little agency, man. That's awesome. Okay. Let's get into some fun stuff here. Sure. First, I want to know, you've put on so many fucking events. Like I said, over 300 probably shows or events, whatever, right? Yeah. I'm sure not every single one went according to plan. Just off the top of your head, do you have some fucked up story you could share with me that happened during one of your shows that you promoted? Oh, yeah, man. There's one, there's one that comes to mind where uh, we were doing a show. And um, first off, the show was supposed to be at seven o'clock and okay. i don't know what happened but nobody was fucking there not even like there was like one bartender dude like it was it was like a 75 room you know cedar right so okay. i was like all right this is going to be pretty you know this is going to be packed out room right and you know we promoted it you know and at this point in time i don't think i was selling tickets online so there's really no way to really gauge how well your show was doing unless you right. call the bar every day and ask how ticket sales were but uh but yeah so it was just like oh you know you're kind of confident i'm gonna pack this room out you right. know, bring in comedy here i mean it's gonna be great and um so i'm in talks with this with this uh with this place and it's this and i'll fuck it i'll say the name of the town it's called edson Okay. Yeah, Edson, Alberta, and it's kind of like one of those oil rig rich towns. Sure. Back in the day, when oil was spiking, you could tell it yep. was just probably just nothing but prostitutes, Walmart below, like just the three of the finest of each, right? <laughs> and and so you're just like, man, you could tell this town used to be popping because there's bars on every fucking corner, and wow. now it's a ghost town. Like now nobody's nobody's there. Really? And uh, so I've been talking to this guy who runs this like nightclub and, and yeah. he's going like, you know, yeah, man, you guys can come up, you know. And so I bring three of the craziest fucking comics with me because I'm okay. like, if I'm going to spend a couple days on the road, you want it to be with some fun dudes. That you of course. Out with. Yeah. <clears throat> and these guys are hustlers. So like they're not afraid to go out there and like hand out flyers. And oh, shit, even right? better. So, yeah. So that's good. Drum up some drum up some business. <laughs> And so he's like, you know, yeah, he goes, this is the last minute town, man. So, you know, you might not see a crowd till late Friday night or something. So, all right, whatever. Yeah. So we go out there and we go to the Walmart mm. and one of the comics goes and tells the Walmart lady, um, you know, I, I lost my sister in the store. Can you page her for me? Okay. And the only reason why he does this is that he can watch what code she uses to use the intercom on the on the on the thing at Walmart, right? Okay. So so he's fucking watching her like a like a hawk and, and everyone's kinda of going, What's he doing here? Yeah. So she, you know, his page is oh, we're looking uh, for this client customer, or whatever. Yeah. And so, you know, nobody shows up obviously. So he goes outside, he waits in the car a couple minutes, he goes back in, yeah. goes to a fucking phone, dials in the code, intercoms the entire Walmart and he's like, Hey everybody, we are having a big con but he show this is the you know Walmart fucking deal of the day and all of a sudden he starts just like riffing on the microphone yeah. 
in the entire Walmart, and you could just see the fucking oh employees God. like running around the store, going like, "Who? You know what phone? What you know what level? People on the radios and stuff. You know what section is this in?" And yeah. he buried himself like a tick in like the kids department or something. I don't know where he was, but he just place was going bananas. Oh, and so yeah. then he would fuck off to yeah. like another phone, okay, another intercom. Like, I'll do it again. You know, Five minutes later, it just ran on the pickup. Oh okay, guys, we're not done yet. You know, welcome to Walmart. This is the special for today. We're doing a comedy show tonight. Yeah. So by the time, so they end up getting busted. They oh. get pinched. They get thrown out of Walmart. Okay. We end up driving back, back to the hotel. Yeah. And the guy is waiting out front for us, right? He's waiting out front of the, of the hotel. By oh, this shit. time, he's just sitting out there with his arms crossed. Yeah. And he's just shaking his head. And he's just like, what the fuck? What the fuck? And oh. I'm like. You know, I'm like, what? What's going on? Yeah. And he's like, I just got a call from fucking Walmart. <laughs> and he's like, you guys are, you guys are over there like buskering in the fucking store, and you're on the microphone, and well. you said all. And I'm just like, you know, I'm playing. I'm like, what? Yeah. Like, no, I've never heard of this before. This is crazy, man. <laughs> and then just something's kind of switched, and I was just like, fuck this, like. We're out here busting our hump. Yeah. You know what I mean? Driving in like a snowstorm out to fucking Edson, Alberta to do a comedy show. There's no real guarantee oh. of money in this at this point. Right. And so, yeah. So I'm like, yeah, like we're going to try to drum up some excitement around the show. And we did. We ended up bringing in like, you know, I think an additional 16 people. But oh, by the time it was all said and done, I think we had about 28 people that showed up. Oh, and, wow. uh we go into the club where we're going to perform, yeah. and, uh, and the stage is a stripper stage. It was a strip bar. Okay. And, and it's still, like, not done, right? Like, it, they still got the neon paint on the walls. Oh, my that, God. You know, kiss me, you know, this and that. And all. Yeah. And so I got my comics up there, and one of the comics I represent ends up, his mom actually danced on that same stage that he performed in comedy on. So what that a was a real treat. Just to, you know what I mean? So, yeah, there's a lot of shit that went sideways <laughs> this entire gig, man. That, those were that's that one stands out to me though for sure holy shit yeah that is crazy though <clears throat> wow that's yeah that out. is a good one thank you for that man <laughs> so you know what that made up if you thought you were rambling on the, uh, at the beginning so there you go you just made up <laughs> there you go perfect okay well here's something that you probably don't know do you know that you are on the first intergalactic podcast of all time no way do you know that the podcast is officially on Mars. Officially on Mars. How does how does that work? Okay, so technically, how do, we, how do you rig rig that thing up? Okay, so you got people like yourself and other people like the big uh, podcasts out there, like the Joe Rogans of the world, the Fighter and the Kids and stuff, sure. trying to get all you know listeners here on Earth and shit. And I'm just too much ahead of you guys, and I just decided to take this to Mars. So. The newest spaceship that went out there to, I guess, monitor, I, you know what, I don't even know the, the whole thing, but it's called uh, the NASA right. InSight. It went over, it finally touched down on Mars. <clears throat> so before they took off, yes. you could go online and put your name on a plate, and then they screwed on the actual rocket that lands on Mars. So you'll have your nameplate on there. Wow. So I decided to put the podcast on there, and it actually, they took it, and they put it on, the so... The name of the podcast is on no, Mars. No way. So future set, settlers that go there in hundreds of years from now can dust off this thing and see the podcast and they go back and research. So you know what? In a hundred years from now, there's probably someone listening to our voices right now at this time. How about that? Dude, that is amazing. <laughs> I am honored. I am honored. So we are on Mars, baby. Absolutely honored. That's amazing. So you see, I think outside the box. Speaking of people who think outside the box... <laughs> 
it's amazing, man. That's fantastic. Although, if they ever were to like, you know, find an archive of this interview, they're going to be like, this Steve guy was onto something, but this guest he had on today, man, holy, you know, no wonder. <laughs> no wonder it's a civilization died out on Earth with these people running the show. No, no, no. Okay, God. this is why civilization went under. Okay. You know about gender reveal fucking uh, parties. You know when they have either they pop balloons or they cut into a cake or what? Like it's so out of hand now, yeah. right? Okay, I've gone on rants before that I fucking hate this shit. It's just another reason to put something on Instagram, in my opinion. I fucking hate it. Absolutely. Okay, I, agree. I think it's something that you know the couple should do first, and then if you want to have like sort of like drinks with people, well, maybe not drinks because the wife's pregnant, but if you have like a, a dinner party with people come over, then you tell them fine, whatever. But now, there's this fucking idiot in Tucson, Arizona. Okay, so last year, he caused $8.2 million worth of damage because he decided to set 47,000 acres on fire because his reveal party went away. I think I saw this on CNN. He, some explosion happened, and the, the grass fire caught. Is that, yes. is that what happened? That's exactly what fucking oh, happened. Oh, my God. So how, many, how much did this guy end up burning down? 47,000 acres. Jesus Christ. Worth... That baby should feel so goddamn lucky that he had the gender reveal of 40,000 acres going up. Man, oh my God. Well, what he wanted to do is rig like a present box for the people who don't know or are right. familiar with the story. So he wanted to rig a present box to either explode with blue or with pink depending on what the child was, right? <clears throat> but right. something went wrong where it overheated and it just fucking blew up. It just, no colors came out. It just... Boom, started a fire, and uh, like I said, $8.2 million worth of damages. But here's the fucking thing I fucking don't understand. So he was found guilty because they went to court and everything, so he, he, he's on the hook. Out of right. $8.2 million, guess how much he had to only pay? Oh, I'm guessing like pennies on the dollar at this point, probably a couple hundred grand or something. Yeah, uh, yeah, 220000 Oh, my God. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Come on. That's see. That's where it never like you never truly get justice out of it, right? Like no, you never. You know what I mean? Like that's just such a drop on the you know deep end of a budget that he could never even begin to fathom. That's no, incredible. Two hundred grand. Two hundred grand. Like, should, like they should like do stuff like you know, and I don't want to sound like a crazy Texan, but they no, should do like it. some punitive shit. Like, uh, <laughs> Like, go be a volunteer firefighter now for the rest of your life. Like, now we've, you know, now next time there's a fire, you're going to be flown out there first to help fight the fight the flames, man. Yeah, no kidding. They should do Something. shit like that. There's got to be some type of recourse, bro. Okay, well, that, that's not even the tip of it of stupid people this week. So I'm sure you remember this. When they had that uh, so-called um, missile alert in Hawaii that was false and everyone got all panicked and everyone actually thought they were going to get bombed by South Korea or something. Okay, yeah. well, there was a guy who ended up having a heart attack about 15 minutes after the sound went off. And now he's accrediting it to them putting out the sound and freaking him out. So he's suing the Hawaii government for himself having a heart attack. Wow. No shit. Well, I'll tell you what. We had one of those today. Yes, we did. It was a test. Yeah. And, and I almost shit my pants, so I could technically be suing the goddamn government, too, for this. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I would uh, – I think it's a dangerous precedent, man, when you open yourself up for these types of lawsuits because yeah. who knows what's going to happen after that. Like, 
like if this guy sues, but I could see having a heart attack thinking a missile's launching my away. You know what I mean? Well, the whole like, I couldn't imagine getting that alert. The leg he's standing on is um, <clears throat> that he's never had any heart problems. He's been checked out before and nothing. There's no further, like previous heart disease, nothing. It was just a random right. heart attack. And I think this guy was like in his mid-40s or something. So, And he says it's all because of those alarms going off. And he panicked so much because he thought he was going to die that he had a heart attack. Oh, my God. What do you think about this, man? You think he should get some money or you think he should... Uh... <sighs> See, now here's me sounding old school, not sounding Texan, just sounding plain old school. Right. Man, you shouldn't pay a man for being a fucking pussy. I'm sorry. Like, grow a set of fucking balls. Or, like, no one else had a fucking heart attack. You know what I mean? There was kids on the island. There was women on the island. I'm sorry to say. No one else fucking yeah. complained. Who, who are you? Like, I, I could understand if there was, like, a fucking part of town where you see, like, 20 people just drop dead. Sure. Totally. totally. Like, you know what I mean? You have a case. But just this fuck off, man. <laughs> the fuck out of here with this shit yeah this guy's a one-off man fuck that dude fuck that guy man. <laughs> it's so true these fucking <laughs> i agree with you <laughs> well you should go back to texas though here's so- okay you ever go to the bank and you get like the wrong denomination or something happens where you deposit something you didn't go through properly and whatever whatever right and it always ends up being your fault the bank always says no no we have no record too bad you it fucked up it's your own fault too bad right usually happens that way yeah Well, in Texas, my friend, there was a malfunctioning ATM where it was dispensing out hundreds when you would ask for tens. And here's the best part about it. The bank had everyone, because now, obviously, the banks and the ATMs have like little fucking cameras and shit right above them. So they saw, and obviously they could go back and see which accounts were drawn. So technically, they could have gone back to every client and said, well, we want our money, right? Can you believe that they went out and said, you know what? This is our mistake. You guys keep the money. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, so I want to hear your, your take on this first. I think it's good because more companies should own up to their mistakes because I'm sick and tired of even, for example, here in Canada, we have the two huge conglomerates, Bell and fucking Rogers, that own literally everything. Sure. And if you have a problem, you can't really go anywhere else. And they know that, so they take advantage of you. So if something happens or whatever, they're like, oh, too bad, whatever, whatever, go find it somewhere else. You know what I mean? No one, no right. company thinks anymore that the customer is right. In this right. case, they fucked up. It was a glitch. It was on their end. Too bad, yeah. motherfuckers. You should have someone on that shit. That's why you pay for IT. You know what I mean? That's why you run checks. Yeah, you do stuff. And, and plus, they're big enough to like not, that's not going to kill them. You Thank you. I mean? Like if you, if you're at some local coffee shop or pub right. or something like that and it's a small business owner yeah, you know yeah. and all of a sudden you know he's he's handing out hundreds by accident that could kill a guy but a bank it's like shit that's the least they, they could do Thank i just you. went on a rant the other day about okay. this i was driving along and I, and I heard this commercial and it was the bank that i, I bank with and, okay and uh and it said uh you know free what did it say it was like free ipads or something oh shit whoever signs up for this new, oh you know, yeah 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 i've heard of these you know, deals some, some promotion like that, right? Right. I thought, like, why don't you motherfuckers give iPads to all the pricks who've been paying your bills for 20 years? You know Thank what I mean? You. Like, give them to the people who are loyal. Why do you give them to the people that are you're signing up? You know right. what I mean? I'm like, you, if, if you reward... And that's what I found in, in this end of the business that I'm in now. Cause, cause, right. uh, and we didn't even touch on that part, but, like, I'm working for um, a ticketing company now. But, but um, that's the thing, man, is that, like, these companies are... Oh, I don't know. 
I can go on forever, dude. I don't, I don't want to. I don't want. Yeah, to don't worry. On a, on a massive tangent. <laughs> I'm the same way. I've you been. Know what I'm saying. I've you been with my cell phone provider now. I'm not going to say their name because they could fucking eat a big fat dick. But I've right. been with them for over 20 years now. And they're literally yeah. offering me deals that are worse than new customers, just like you said. And it fucking yeah. pisses me off so badly because I yeah. can't technically get these deals anywhere else. But right. at the same time, I know I'm not getting what I should be getting for being a 20 plus. It's like I told my wife. I'm like, you know what I think it is? They don't really have anyone like as who, who's with the same company for 20 plus years. I've had the same cell right. phone number for over 20 motherfucking years. That's amazing, dude, in <clears throat> itself right there. That's so amazing. how many people are really like that right now in North America like me? I don't think they have tiers to give those type of packages to type of people <laughs> like me. So I'm like on the 10 year plan like everyone else. Like, you know what I'm saying? Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally, man. But mm-hmm. no, you're exactly right because it was not more than, I don't know, probably two months ago. Um, I was at the, you know, close to the end of my contract. So I started shopping around. Right. And and they did this thing out in Alberta. I don't know if they did it out in Ontario where it was like, you know, 10 gigabytes for, you know, whatever, 60 bucks yep. or some shit. Yep. Same so shit here. Yeah, yeah. Everybody ran out and got self. Everybody ran out and got, got a plan. They were handing them out like candy. Of course. So then they take away that promotion. Yep. I'm, now I'm ready to like re-sign or re-up on my contract. And mm-hmm. now they're like, oh, no, that one's done. And I'm like, well, wait a second. Like, how is it just done? Like, you know, you can offer it because you've been doing it for, you know, two fucking months. Thank you. So, you know, and, and so we got into this kind of like, you know, standoff. And so I just said, fuck it. So what I did is I went on Twitter. Yeah. And I tweeted at Telus, at Bell, at Rogers, at Fido, at Freedom, all these different cell phone companies. Yeah, yeah. And I said, hey, I'm going to bring whoever wants this business. I'm going to bring you three telephone lines. Wow. I'm going to get three brand new phones. Yeah. And I'm going to get the package that's going to, you know, make you pay your fucking rent for this month for sure. <laughs> and uh, whoever wants the business can come and take it. Right. right? I'm just putting the offer out there to whoever wants it. There you and go. I let those fuckers bid on it. Oh. And so they started bidding online. They're, you know, oh, they're, all, you know, they're all DMing me, right? You know, of course. Hey, call me. Call me immediately. All yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All types of stuff. But the cell phone company that I was with the entire time um, ended up coming back and giving me like a smoking deal. But I was like, why do I got to go this route? Thank you. That type of fucking customer service, right? Like, Thank you. Kills me, man. So that's why I was all me. aboard the bank because you don't see that anymore. You really don't. Yeah, you never see these guys owning up to, uh, to uh, their shit or saying, you know what? That was our fucking bad. Go ahead and take it. Just keep it. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, there was a time when they started messing with um, overdrafts when they first started coming out with like overdrafts and stuff like that. Okay, I remember going up to a bank machine and it said um, you have insufficient funds. (laughs) Fuck, I hate that. For a what was it, a five dollar or twenty dollar overdraft fee? Right. I was, you know, you tell a twenty one year old kid that I was like, "Fuck, is there a hell yeah button on this fucking machine?" Boom! I will pay this back next week for sure. No kidding, man. I remember, you know, bank machines dispensing. Although I was, I worked for a company one time and I got a paycheck and they paid me 20 grand by accident. Oh, fuck. And yeah, they sure as fuck didn't let me keep that. Oh. But, but that was still, I made a photocopy of it just because I was like, ah, this is, yeah, this is nice. See that number. Okay, what do you think about, uh, again, because I am guessing we're around the same age group, give or take a few years. So what do sure. you think about all these kids in school now that get so called bullied and the helicopter parenting and everything is so fucking, oh my God, no, they can't even walk outside without a fucking radiation suit anymore or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, right, right. Yeah. So the newest thing now, yeah. this is so yeah. fucked up. Now it's about um, 
I guess, being poor, rich, middle class, whatever. So it, there's a high school in, uh, in Northwest England. So this is actually overseas. And they've banned children from wearing expensive coats like Canada Goose and like, like expensive brands to prevent bullying on the poor kids. So now you got to look poor to be okay with being rich. Does that make sense? See, and that I, I read an article, um, and I think the ones that they were really going after, I think was the first one they were banning was the Canada Goose jackets or whatever. So these right. kids couldn't wear these, you know, really expensive winter jackets. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I've never been for that shit, man. I, Thank you. I am always like, you know what? If anything, that you know, it's almost like Chappelle, man. You come home at the end of the day, you look at your parents, you're like, man, you motherfuckers better get your shit together, man. Y'all better, y'all better start upping your game because everybody at school's got these Canada goose and y'all got me in fucking heads and, and some old Navy shit. But you know, like, dude, it's like, I think, uh, I think that's, that's a good life lesson to learn very early on. And I think the earlier we can teach our kids that, Hey, we don't all start at the same, nope. at the same line, man. You know what I mean? Thank David you. David Lee, David Lee Roth had a, had a really great quote. Um, okay. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, so... No, I'll go for it, of me, course. But uh, he was at, like, a high school reunion, and he had a bunch of buddies that were like, you know, hey, you know, we... Um, you, know, we you know, our life was as great as yours, man. You know, you, you really, you know, you really came out of high school running, man. Like, you, yeah. you, know, you made you famous, and you got all these money and chicks and all that stuff. And he's like, you know... And I, David Lee Roth, I guess just told these guys like hey no man like mm -hmm. we all came out of the gate at the same fucking time right but i chose to sail the sea of consequence and you decided to sit in a cubicle all day thank you, know you. What i mean yeah. so yep. that i took the risk right and so sometimes yep. with that risk i'm bored and sometimes with those you know they don't come but at the end of the day it's an important life lesson for kids to 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 learn very on is that, you know, we don't all come from the same cloth. We right. all don't have the same, you know, advantages in life. And we all, all don't have the same, you know, income and, and all those, you know, sometimes a rich kid could go home to an abusive and, and a poor Thank kid you. could go home to a loving family. You exactly. Know what I, mean? so I think somewhere in that mix, it all balances itself out. But I think it's an important lesson for kids to learn that, Hey, there's going to be always going to be a rich kid and there's always going to be a poor kid. And there's always going to be a kid that That's you know, life. just kind of fits right in the middle and makes fun of both of them. You know what I mean? But exactly. Yeah, man, I, I, I don't, I don't believe in that shit. And, and I, you know, I'm a, I've, I'm a dad. My daughter, you know, yep. is, is a wonderful young woman. She's in her third year at university and nice. going to be a lawyer. There you go. And so I didn't have a lot of problems with her and i've got um a really cool stepson who is uh, 11 years old and and you know he's at that age right now where he's involved in you know in sports and and uh okay, you, you know he's out there you know becoming social and learning all those things and stuff like that and and you know i think naturally we always want to provide more than what our parents did for us we want to become Thank better you. parents it's time we also can't allow ourselves to be to that entity of not allowing our children to still understand life a little bit and yes. that 
it's okay to drink out of a fucking garden hose in the summer when you're hot and your buddies are with you. You know what I mean? Yep. It's okay to throw an yep. egg at a fucking house once in a while and someone neighbor pisses you off. Like no kidding. that shit's all about growing up. And those are all Thank like you. experiences we need to opportunity for learning and growth, right? No, it's so true. Cause even in my example, I had two older brothers, like many years apart, like nine and 11 years apart. So growing up, I had to use their fucking hand-me-downs. So here I am going to school in the late 90s. Yeah, in elementary school in the late in early 90s, about 10, 11 years old, rocking fucking Brooks gear from fucking 1970. Like, you know what I mean? And it's like, did I get picked on? Of course I did. Did that make me get a thick skin? Yes, it did. So now as an adult, I'm able to take criticism. You know what I mean? So that's the lesson I learned as a kid. And these kids yeah. aren't getting it. That's the problem. Exactly. No, I think you're 100% right. And that's a great analogy because... You know, the fractured part of our society, the way things are going right now, is that the kids now end up getting picked on or bullied or whatever. Their outlet is not to grow again. Their outlet is not to just be like, okay, well, I I can give it back. You know, I can, um, yes. you know, it's not going to, it's not going to kill me, to, you know, to, to get picked on once in a while or, you know, yeah. whatever. Um, or it's going to make me smarter to align myself with other people who are going to have my fucking back or, or whatever the case is. Right. It cre- creates... It creates a certain survival instinct, I think, that you start to develop. Thank you. Nowadays, unfortunately, we've got kids that their tipping point is to pick up a gun and go and go shoot, right? And yeah. that's like – so there's no – In between. There's no outlets. And there's really no relationships to bounce those frustrations off of, right? Like I know. When we were kids, you know, we could sit and bullshit with our buddies for hours right. and not be distracted by Facebook and social media and all that type of shit. Yeah, Nowadays, yeah. it's like, you know – Dude, my son goes up in games all the time. You know what I mean? It's like, I know that's just how it is, you know? <laughs> no kidding. All right, one more thing. So obviously, yeah. you've traveled a lot. Sure. You've gone everywhere. You've seen it all. Now, would you be able to live somewhere where there's literally no sunlight for two months? And I think I'd have a really good time with that. I really would. Um, you know, I've, I recently started getting... And I think the older you get, the you know, bit more fucking nuts you get, whatever. You get more, a little more eccentric, right? I yeah. think that's what they call it now. It's yeah, like yeah. I've really got into some of these shows like uh, uh, Alaska Wild. And, oh, shit. And, you know, like Alaskan Bush people. And right, this, right. You know, so, you know, it's just kind of just kind of brainless TV I can tap out for an hour and just watch in the, in the evening. And, and yeah. you know, my wife is just sitting there, you know, doing whatever. And and I just kind of escaped through these shows. But one of the attractiveness things about those shows is I'm always like, oh, what's that life to, you know, what's that like to live off the grid and to live in a place that, you know, in their, in their case, it's sunlight all the time. Right. But I get get into these weird phases where I'm like, oh, I, you know, I could fucking do that. I, you know, no I can way. do that for, you know, a couple of years or whatever. Fuck that. And, and then I'm like, no, no, I fucking, and then I got like a reality check. I'm like, <laughs> I can't fucking do this. Like, I can't even start a fucking fire, man, without matches, right? So... <laughs> And I'm starting to think of myself like if I go live in a dark place for oh dude like I don't think I could man I think if it was like you know if I you know if I it was like a matter of sur- survival obviously yeah. it's a you know you could probably dish out you know you could probably take quite a bit but yeah yeah if it's just like uh hey man go live in this environment for two months I'd be like I'd fucking come out depressed looking like a raccoon big eyes and shit I, I would not be happy yeah well there's an actual city in alaska so the northernmost city in alaska goes through this every year where they go dark for two months so they so they went dark like about two weeks ago and they're not going to see sun until january 23rd holy shit 
Imagine. Uh, how about doing comedy I can't there? Do that, man. See, no, you have to do that. Bring comedy over there. These guys need to laugh, man. <laughs> Dude, you can do a comedy show at any time of the fucking day. People would be all over it. You know what I mean? Exactly. Dude, you can have a happy hour whenever the hell you want, too. Like that's true too. That's fantastic, Shit. man. I never thought about it like that. That's a bet. That's a good industry. You can start promoting some comedy out there. I know, right? Start talking to our sales team about that. <laughs> <laughs> Why not, oh, man? man? That's a great thing. <laughs> all right one more fight question and then i want you to try uh the dumb laws yes, game here on the podcast all right let's do it dead or alive any fighter that you would want to watch live that you haven't i would have to say um probably hickson gracie Oh, because shit. I always heard that Hickson was the most talented Gracie out of the entire family. Wow. And I think he only fought in the UFC once. Or no, I think he only fought in like another MMA organization once. Okay. Once or twice. But even the dad, even Helios, said out of all the kids, Hickson wow. would be the one that is the most talented Gracie out of all of them. And I always thought to myself, man, to watch that guy. And there's old video of it. Yeah, yeah. But just to be... At that time, I would just to watch that happen, I would have been like, that would have been, that would have been fucking great, man. Great to watch that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, actually, you know what? Yeah. That's a good, that's a good answer. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. You ready for the dumb laws game? Sure, let's do it. Okay, so I have three categories: Canada, U.S., World. What do you want to start with first? Let's do, uh, let's do U.S. U.S. All right. So one of these three laws actually exists. So you got to tell me which one. All right. In no particular order, so you got to guess. In Conway, New Hampshire, it is illegal to talk in the third person. In Boise, Idaho, it is illegal to fish on a giraffe's back. Here's one for you. In Fort Worth, Texas, it is illegal to have sex with another human on top of a horse. I'm going to go with number three with the Texas one and that that's a real law. No, apparently you could have sex on top of a horse as long as it's not with another animal. So you're wrong, my friend. (laughs) It is the Boise, Idaho. You cannot go fishing on a giraffe's back. That is an actual real law. I always hear, man, I always hear about these laws that come into play because of like, you know, like one asshole in town did exactly. something one time. Like That's on exactly it. And they're like, we got to, we got to pass this law. But I yep. just thought like, what would the fuck would a giraffe be doing in, in, over there? But wow, that's crazy, man. But I never guessed that one. I'm <laughs> 0 for 1 right now. It's not looking good. All right. You can make it up still. Two more. What do you want? World right. or Canadian? Mm. Let's do world. All right. World. In Jamaica, it is illegal to use matches to light any cannabis-related product. In Mexico, while riding your bicycle, it is illegal to lift your feet off the pedals. Or is it, in Ireland, it is illegal to masturbate in the kitchen unless someone else is present? Wow. Holy shit. (laughs) I honestly do not wouldn't even begin to know the three of these ones i'm just going to take a stab at it. i'm sure. going to go say number one jamaica jamaica no 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 sorry number two i meant to say number two because i thought to myself number one man there ain't no fucking way they're going to try to outlaw light and light and ganja down in jamaica with matches that can't be a thing 
So I'm going to say number two. So the bicycle one, you can't lift your feet off the pedals. That still doesn't sit there right there with me. Final I feel answer. Like going number three, Ireland, because that's just such a weird, fucked up thing to happen. <laughs> I know. And right? I'm thinking maybe somebody experienced that at some point in time. Let's go with number three, man. All right. <sighs> you should have left it with Mexico. It is the Mexican one, man. <laughs> Fuck it. Ah. Over two, man. I got to redeem myself here. Well, in baseball, if you get this one, you'll still have a good average at uh, three, 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 right? So we'll see. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. So let's see if you know your Canadian ones. Speaking right. speaking of up north, in Dawson City, Yukon, it is illegal to wear sunglasses at night. In Digby, Nova Scotia, it is illegal to penetrate a human body with any type of food. In Okotos, Alberta, it is illegal to set a man's wooden leg on fire. Wow. That's something I feel like we, we do a show in Okotoks. I have a feeling I got some comics that, that will, uh, they always research crazy shit about a town before they go there. So okay. I feel like I would have heard if something like that happened. It was a law in Okotoks. Okay. I okay. could be wrong. I could be wrong. I'm doing that annoying thing. Uh, but by the way, when you see that, uh, what? uh what's that show? Well, oh, who wants to be a millionaire? <laughs> yeah, where the guy talks about, he walks through every stupid answer that he comes up with. It's like, well, my wife goes to church, and she never, I'm like, fuck, I don't give a fuck, buddy, just make a goddamn decision. Sorry, man, so I'm walking through this in my head. No, go for so, it, man. I don't think it's number one. Okay. Um, take me Nova Scotia, though. That sounds a little fucked up of a town. Maybe that... <laughs> Maybe that one. I don't think it's... Okay, I don't think it's Okotoks. Okay. And then there was Digby, Nova Scotia, and then what was the third one? Yukon? Yukon with sunglasses that night, yeah. Sunglasses. I'm going to go with Yukon. That would be like a real law up there. Probably some guy was like sledding around with his glasses on at night or something. Nope, you could wear your sunglasses at night in Yukon. Fuck. And you could also put food in yourself in Digby. So it's the Okotos one. You it's can't the set... Okotos one, huh? And actually, to be fair, it's in all of Alberta. You can't set a wooden, a man's wooden leg on fire. It's against the law. No shit. You could do jail time for that shit. <laughs> that... <laughs> I can't do jail time. And I've got a comic with one leg too. That's funny. Well, if you ever get pissed off at him, is... don't do it in Alberta, yeah. man. <laughs> drive him out to like uh, I'll drive him out to like Nelson or something and just fucking torch his leg oh there you go exactly that's crazy man <laughs> so you can't light someone's leg on fire in Alberta yep yeah who would have known exactly well hope you had a good time now it's your time you want to plug whatever you want anything upcoming anything you want to promote Twitter Instagram whatever the floor is all yours my friend buddy thank you so much man for having me this was this has been fantastic um, more than I expected and I love you know talking all of the different levels about, you know, my career, you know, things that have happened and, and people that get to meet all along the way, man. So thank you first off for having me. This is, this is a fantastic show. Um, thank you. No second problem. of all, I will, uh, you know, we've got, you know, we've got shows going around all over the, all over the country all the time. Um, so just check out my site. It's probably easiest thing. Jake Hirsch.ca. Um, you can see a list of all of our shows. I think we've got about 16 shows, live events planned right now coming up. And then you can catch, me 
about it. Every festival across Canada and the United States, I'm, you know, I've got a pretty, pretty crazy travel schedule. Um, yeah, sure so do. yeah, if anybody ever wants to, uh, you know, reach out or, or, you know, think about opportunities that they think would be, uh, would be a good thing. They can hit me up on my website or, you know, I'm coast to coast all the time. So, um, yeah, that's about it, man. Perfect. And for myself, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Finger Styles, the podcast on Twitter, the podcast app. You could email questions, suggestions, comments. You could tell me to fuck off. The only thing I don't want, not there's anything wrong with it. Some people are into it, but I'm not. No dick pics, please. I'm good with those. <laughs> so uh, it's the podcast app at gmail.com. And obviously, listen on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Pod Bros Network, EMZT Radio every Sunday afternoon. Go to poppyapparel.com, enter promo code the podcast, capital D, 10% off, free shipping worldwide. We have merch.com, buy yourself uh, the podcast mug, t shirt, or sorry, men's t shirt or women's t shirt. And I guess that is it for this week. Last question before I part with you. You don't have to answer if you don't want to because you've worked with a lot of them. Sure. Your favorite comedian of all time? Oh, uh, that I worked with or haven't worked with? Whatever. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Of all I, time. I, just out of respect and love, man, I have to say Chappelle. I think he's the, the most, that's probably like a genius, man. You know what? He's on my top five, so. Awesome. Perfect. Awesome. On that note, he's Jake. I'm Steve. This is the podcast. Peace. Peace.